We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, sadly, another Nets loss tonight to the Lakers, 106-96. How are we doing? Nick, just before you started recording, you're like, you're ready to get this party started. This is the, this is the saddest party in the world, literally. I've got, like, my little balloon hat on. Balloon hat? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it is sad, depressing. My brain isn't even working. Yeah, I mean, it was not an enjoyable game to watch, especially on a day we got those reports about James Harden, him being frustrated with some of the rotations in the lineups. Well, tonight was frustrating probably for him, for the fans, probably everybody at Barclays Center watching the Nets play offense. We're going to jump into that in plenty more, but check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start with this one? I don't know, Nick, but I want to start with James Harden. I, I think that probably that's the, the best way to go about it because I thought his performance was great tonight. 33 points, uh, had an 11 assists to go to 12 boards, uh, a triple-double, three of those offensive boards as well, 9-9 nine nine from the free-throw line. Uh, it was 2-7 of 3, 11-24 from the field. Also had two steals and a block. Did have six turnovers, but the burden on him tonight was, you know, it was like in, I think it's homecoming, you know, in when the vulture, like, drops the entire building and warehouse on Tom Holland Spider-Man. Spoiler alert for Homecoming, not No Way Home. <laughs> um, but And you just can't carry it. He's just carrying it as much as he can, and he lifts it up eventually. Unfortunately, James Harden could only do so much lifting tonight. Yeah, I saw a tweet from NBA Paint, and they had, like, the rest of the Nets on James Harden's back. So I felt like that was pretty fitting for tonight. Like you said, you know, Harden came out aggressive in this game. You know, it was in double digits, I think, after the first quarter. A lot of and ones, two, three, or four. The Lakers reacted, you know, in that fourth quarter by blitzing him heavy. They are just trying to force the ball out of his hands and force another net to even just make a play, a pass, or a dribble. And they really couldn't. So that was a great, you know, adjustment by the Lakers. You know why they couldn't, Nick? Because Steve Nash had Patty Mills on the freaking bench. Yeah, I know. That definitely that didn't help Patty Mills on the bench. And then also just like the other guys where some of them were put into positions to make plays and they just couldn't. And that's where I think you're seeing frustration from Harden. But again, you like the fact that he came out aggressive tonight. Like you said, 33 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, was breaking down his man, attacking Anthony Davis one-on-one. That's just some of the mentality stuff you love to see from Harden. And with a more competent supporting cast, this probably is an easy dub. 
Yeah, I know Harden's had his hamstring issues, you know, quite recently, but he's probably going to have some shoulder issues going forward, to, to be fair. No, I think the mentality, as you alluded to, Nick, you know, he had drive after drive after drive, which was awesome. You know, the three ball was here and there, and he was earning contact. You know, he was cooking guys. He was cooking Anthony Davis every now and then. Uh, he was just doing every little thing that he could do to, to get this win, despite, you know, the weather and the taxes. You know, James Harden was doing everything he could for the Brooklyn Nets tonight. Yeah, it's a cold day in New York, too. So, you know, <laughs> I credit him for that. And like you said, did have a couple steals in there. Like, there's a couple plays where the defense wasn't too bad. And, you know, it looked like he was kind of turning up and trying a little bit harder in this one. It just sucks that he couldn't get that support around him. Yeah, the support around him was Patty Mills, Peter Daron Sharp. Uh, no, sorry, not Daron. Well, Daron Sharp was okay. DeAndre Bembry, that was maybe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. And it was like you're asking Patty Mills to be your number two scoring option with really no third, fourth, or fifth scoring option on the team, or at least one that's getting minutes. So it's, like you said, it's an incredible workload for James Harden right now and for the foreseeable future. You know, obviously Kevin Durant's not going to be back until a post-All-Star break, and it looks like, you know, we got the news on Joe Harris that he's getting a second opinion and is aiming towards post-All-Star break, but it wasn't really clear if that's even definitive. So right now it's just James Harden having to put this team on his back, especially at home. On the road, he gets Kyrie Irving, and obviously, you know, you add a star like that to the rotation, that's going to be huge. But for home games, it's going to be tough for the Nets to win until post-All-Star break. And they've got Denver tomorrow, so that's going to be a fun one. Nikola Jokic and, and, and the rest of his squad. Old, old Uncle Jeff is coming back. Nick, I, I guess Steal you... Uncle Jeff and get him to stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just lock him in the, the Barclays Center away rooms. Nick, you mentioned Joe Harris. I think that's probably the biggest thing that, that came out from tonight. And obviously, we'll touch on the James Harden news. But if you do want a full one-hour podcast, check out our feed. Me and Matt went through it in a, in a clear uh, crossover that we went through, dissected every single angle of that. But I want to get Nick's opinion a bit later on in the episode but Joe Harris was the big news of the night and I think a lot of us were shocked Nick because Chris Haynes who's a great newsbroker and great reporter you know sort of shocked the, the Nets fans and NBA Twitter by just saying oh yeah he's getting a second opinion in Indianapolis and I'm just like wait what like why aren't the Brooklyn Nets telling us this that was and we know that the Nets are notoriously you know closets uh, secretive when it comes to yeah. the health of their guys and whatever but at the same time, I think that it, it's not the the optics aren't great with that. I know, I'm, I, to be honest, it's not the, the be all and end all. The, the big thing is, you know, about Joe Harris's status. But I think taking that into account, you know, I, I just it, it compounded, I guess, the the fact that Joe Harris has been out for so long as well. Yeah, I think like you know we touched on the top that we got the James Harden rumors and which we'll touch on a little bit later and you dropped a great pod with Matt Brooks on but also now you're getting more bad news on the Joe Harris front in terms of like what's going on with him and like you said we're not getting that information from the team we did get the the note that there was some type of setback but we really didn't get that and like I mentioned to you before we hopped on I feel like it's a little bit more annoying given that the Nets knew this was a thing like I, I don't know how long they've known but they've had a known uh, know about this like issue for probably about two weeks so you would think they'd try to address something with the roster you know maybe even just like a 10-day guy or trying to do something to bring in another shooter because if joe harris is going to be out for a while we talked about it on a million podcasts there's not enough shooting and spacing on this team at home so like there needs to be some type of move made because we really don't know if joe harris when he's going to be back or what he's going to be like when he's going to be back or if there's a chance at re-injury if it's already a setback for Something that was considered, I don't want to say a minor injury, but definitely not a major injury. 
Yeah, obviously an ankle injury, you know, reoccurring or the the surgery or not being going through totally well. Who knows how and and where that was done? But I'm certainly worried about it, Nick. You know, and I think that a lot of Nets fans are because we know the importance of Joe Harris for this team, especially in the regular season. Yep. He's just absolute money, absolute cash, one of the league leaders in three point percentage. So having him absent, and he's also got great chemistry with James Harden. You know, those yep. two have had you know wicked chemistry from the perimeter whenever those two guys are screening for each other and creating plays left, right, and center. So that is 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 a really disappointing thing, and. Uh, a part of me, when you sort of said, you know, that you know about the the team revealing and whatever, it, it reminded me of the fact that the quote from Steve Nash before the game about Nick Claxton is like, yeah, Nick Claxton might suit up, like might, like yeah. you're the coach, <laughs> like um, it, it, maybe it's just a Freudian slip, and I think maybe DJ's getting in my head a little bit and, and starting <laughs> to bring out the, the the hate a little bit more, and maybe it's because I'm I'm wearing a Horcrux. I'm bringing the Harry Potter references these days, Nick. I've, I've spent too much time in the UK, but. I think that looking at it from the, just the Joe Harris perspective, it, it just sucks because we know how, how good he is and we know how important he is to this team, to this team's identity uh, offensively and, and from the perimeter. Like, they were awful from three tonight uh, as well. You know, they were only 7 of 27. You know, I, I think that obviously 25.9% is a pretty alarming number, but the volume itself as well. You know, we saw night after night after night when you'd have Joe Harris in the roster, it's 35 to 43, you know, no doubt. You know, you can, and the Lakers had 38 themselves, and they're a decent three-point shooting team. Yeah, I'd say they're probably below average for the Lakers. Exactly. And, you know, before when Joe Harris was with the team, the Nets were, were first or second in three-point shooting. You know, since then, uh, they've been one of the worst, bottom five quite easily. I remember at some point they were like 29th. It might be even lower now just because, you know, the sporadic nature of Kyrie Irving being there and Kevin Durant, obviously his injury and stuff. So Joe Harris's absence is pronounced because of the burden that it creates and everything else, the compounding effect on the other guys in the rotation. It means you have to play. You know, Bruce Brown, James Johnson, you know, DeAndre Bembry. And DeAndre Bembry has been okay from three this year. Yes, 43 or something around that sort of percent is a, a, a bit of a facsimile or a bit of a, a, blip, a bit of a mirage, so to speak. He's not that good of a three-point shooter, but he's certainly better than, you know, all the other guys that I just listed. And Blake Griffin, obviously, come the last time he hit a three, to, to be fair. So I think that there's that compounding effect too. And, and obviously, it, it means James Harden has to do so much and the space for him to drive into the lane, you know. And I think that's why his game was so good because the Lakers were hedging hard. Like, they were just like, all right, James Harden's not... It's going to be anyone else but James Harden against us tonight. And James Harden still had, you know, an incredible game. You know, LeBron James was probably the best player on the floor tonight, uh, but James Harden was a pretty close second. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Lakers did a better job probably defending Harden than the Nets did defending LeBron. But getting back to the Joe Harris stuff, and this is kind of compounded because of the roster, you know, leaning into a little bit more defense and size in the offseason, not necessarily having that Joe Harris backup, you know, Patty Mills, similar skill set, but you expected both guys to be out there. So it is tough. It's having an impact. And you're just not going to win many NBA games in 2022 going 7-27 and from three. You know, you need to hit double-digit threes. Like you said, you need to generate more threes, and you need to shoot a better percentage, especially for a team that's not playing lockdown defense. And they weren't making the hustle plays tonight because the Lakers ate them up in transition. I think it was 27 fast break points. 
Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> and LeBron probably got 25 of them himself. I, I wanted to ask stretch, you... Just to touch on it real quick, Jack, before I forget, that stretch in the fourth quarter where he got back-to-back steals for easy dunks, that was just kind of, like, pathetic. Obviously, the Harden one on the short roll, great read by him. But then the next one, James Johnson essentially pointing to Nick Claxton, like, here, I'm going to pass you the ball right here. Couldn't make it any easier for LeBron. Boom. Easy, easy dunk on the other end. That type of stuff, like, you just can't have, especially if you're opting to play the veterans over the rookies. No, exactly. So there's not much more I can say. That side probably <laughs> says it all in, in a lot of the sense of the word. But, Nick, I did see some people talking about Joe Harris's status, and obviously the level of frustration is is pretty high for, for us. And some people were even bringing up the fact that the Nets could put the Nets should put him on. We heard about you know possible rumors about Joe Harris being on the trading block. Do you think now with this injury, it, it's more likely that the Nets could trade him? This isn't me saying it. I saw people on the timeline. You know, I'm back to my Joe Harris tandem somewhat. And I think be, him being absent is like, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone yeah. um, in, a, in a lot of sense of the, of the word. Do you think that that makes any sense? Uh, I don't think it really changes much for the Nets. I mean, I could hear an argument for the other way, just given the Nets are kind of a class act organization that they don't want to trade, you know, Joe Harris, why he's hurt. You know, they were kind of, I feel like, skeptical of doing it last year with Spencer Dinwiddie. But you never know if, you know, the opportunity arises and the right deal is out there. Sure, maybe they pull the trigger, especially if they, you know, find maybe some more negative news. But I don't think it really changes much. I think the Nets prefer to keep Joe Harris. They're not really going to be able to obtain, you know, a player of that shooting caliber. I don't think at the deadline unless something pops up that I'm not thinking of, but I think right now it's probably around the same, in my opinion. What about you? No, I'm, look, I, I can't say I've changed, but you know there were obviously many rumblings. I don't know. I can't remember where they came from, probably Bleacher Report or, or, or something like that. But uh, a part of me also does think that the fact that he is injured, it's like a, a Miles Turner situation. It depreciates his value. You know, yeah. if it's a good team that wants to trade for him, they're going to want him to be healthy. And you know, the Nets are trading a guy who is a uh, a distressed asset to use the sort of fancy terminology that you yep. probably use a lot more often than I do. I, I hope you're proud of me for using words like that, Nick. You're always pretty switched on when it comes to this trade stuff and the, the cap me- mechanics of it also. Yeah, I, I, I think that maybe that decreases the likelihood you yeah. could look at it from that sense of the word too. But whatever does happen, uh, we all want Joe Harris back in a, a Brooklyn Nets uniform sooner rather than later. And hopefully it's post-All-Star break and it is soon. And when you get him and KD... Back fit and fire. And we got news about that too, but that wasn't really news. It was just like sort of repeated of what we probably already thought given the timeline. So hopefully those two are back soon because it would certainly help having those two playing some extended minutes rather than Bruce Brown and James Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that's really it. It's not only you're getting back these superstar, you know, a superstar in Kevin Durant and a superstar role player in Joe Harris. It's who you're replacing them with. And no disrespect to Bruce Brown. He's just having a really bad season. He's just not feeling himself offensively, missed multiple laps tonight. James Johnson, you know, occasionally he'll have a good game, but you can just kind of you know, see the age is catching up to him. So replacing those two guys out of the rotation and then even just limiting the minutes where you're playing non-shooters. Like we're talking about Kevin Durant, one of the greatest shooters of all time. And then you're adding Joe Harris, who's been one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA the last couple of seasons with guys who are essentially non-shooting threats. Yeah, the the Bruce Brown missed shots tonight were Bad. egregious. They, I think I've used egregious the past couple episodes. They were like awful bad like you mentioned they were just it was not and a a, a three-year-old could hit those shots it's the first thing you learn when when you play basketball is how to hit a freaking layup and one of them was like kind of was at least a guy in the paint 
But the second one, you know, it was sort of like the old school Bruce and James connection, you know, slip through, yeah. slip off the screen and get a, a wide open lane because James Harden's such a good passer and Bruce has been a pretty good screen and a screener and, and timing in terms of, of some of his roles. And he just, that one was disgustingly bad. Yeah, I think it's rare that we ever say anything like, you know, I could have made that shot. But that was a situation where it, the fact that he missed two, you know what I mean? It's different if you miss one layup in a game, like, sure, whatever, everybody's, like, going to miss a bunny occasionally. But the fact he missed, like, two wide open ones that were just, like, clear as day, just kind of just touch it in or even just go for the dunk, that was tough. You know, James Johnson, I think, missed one in this game. LaMarcus Aldridge missed one in this game. It's just, like... We were kind of talking before we hopped on. It's like the Nets didn't need to play a perfect game to beat the Lakers because the Lakers aren't that great of a team, but they just needed to play well, and they just didn't do that. They just missed too many opportunities, give it to miss layups, to miss free throws, you know, miss wide open threes, playing bad transition defense, mental mistakes. That was really the issue in the game. It's not like the Lakers lit the world on fire. Like they played okay. When you have three and a half, I'm going to say a half because I thought Clax was good, but he only played 17 minutes. A half players out of your 11 rotation players playing good basketball, you're yeah. not going to win games. It doesn't matter against if it's against the Los Angeles Lakers or if it's against you know a team like the Detroit Pistons or the Orlando yeah. Magic. You know it's probably more likely to happen against those teams. But you need to be much much better. And you know shout out to to Patty DeAndre Bembry and Clax, who I thought was pretty solid with some of the things that he did not tonight as well. Yeah, I thought Kessler Edwards was pretty good, too. Like, I didn't think he was bad. I mean, defending LeBron James for a Kessler Edwards is is going to be tough. You know what I mean? And, you know, he did make a couple shots. I thought defensively he had a couple nice plays in there in terms of, like, help defense. But like you said, you know, you have Patty, you have Clax, you have, you know, Bembry giving you some good stuff. But you look at all the other guys that just couldn't give you much of anything. You know, like we said, Bruce Brown, James Johnson, LaMarcus Aldridge really didn't have a good game either. Dayron Sharp did some things okay. Cam, we only saw him the first half other than garbage time. And then when we did see him, he didn't play well. And Blake obviously did not play. We got some magical Javon Carter minutes in there, too. So it's just like you said, when you have limited players playing well, it's like I'm not sure what you can really do. And it's, you know, I'm not defending Steve Nash because I don't think he coached super well this game. But it's just like I don't even know where he was supposed to turn in this one to make it, you know, a better result. No, I agree. There's only ancillary things he could have done. I was on the spaces with with Saint of Nets Kingdom. Check out his YouTube channel um, and the Next Kingdom with AJ. They, they do some great stuff. And I was pretty angry about, again, an 11-man rotation. It, it is frustrating. And it's not that the Nets have eight quality guys and maybe you extend it a little bit. Yeah, it's fine. But Blake Griffin didn't play. And I think Blake has played as well, would would have played as well as Bruce Brown, James Johnson, and has been providing us moments in spurts. You know, he's going to take charges on, on a LeBron James. I think he could have been a, a, a decent defensive, you know, player to, to throw out there for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. You know, he's had, you know, a, a few little spurts here and there. And because none of our other guys are good offensive players, I think Blake is as good as any of those guys defensively, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, you could make an argument that he's just, you know, I don't think either, like a lot of those guys played well defensively and uh, Blake would have probably been at that level, had the opportunity to possibly take some charges or even just make some hustle plays on the floor. And I think that's what they needed tonight was a little bit more juice. And, you know, Blake could have been that guy. Would he have won the Nets the game? Probably not, but there was an opportunity maybe for him to be more effective than somebody like a James Johnson. And also one thing I think Blake does pretty well is he's good as an outlet. You know, when James Harden was getting those double teams, Blake's pretty good at trying to find a path to get the basketball. 
Yeah, and when you say replace Javon Carter with Blake Griffin or James Johnson with Blake Griffin, and it's not Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, and and Javon Carter, one of the, look, uh, it just feels like that Steve Nash finds new ways to infuriate Nets fans, including myself. Sorry, Stephen. I, I need to keep referring to him as Stephen whenever he makes me angry and he doesn't do good things because he didn't do good things. And he also said tonight, you know, at the I think it was after the third quarter, and then I think Chris Haynes was asking him, I think the Nets were 5 of 23 um, from three after the third period heading into the fourth. And, you know, Chris Haynes asked a legitimate question. He's like, you know, is there, what's going on with the, the three-point shooting? And he's like, well, it helped to have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Joe Harris. It's just like, why are you saying that shit? Like, it, surely that doesn't feel one fans with any confidence. And if I'm a player and I see that, I'm just like, so my coach isn't backing me either. He's meant to be the player's coach. Uh, I thought that was maybe I'm looking too much into it. I think it, it was look- like it came across as a cop out. You know, like it did, oh, it did. you know what I mean? It's like here's the thing, Steve Nash. You're a coach of an NBA team. You're not necessarily going to have a full roster all the time. Yeah, injuries have sucked, and the whole Kyrie thing is not something you typically deal with. But it easily could have happened that, you know, Joe Harris is injured, Kevin Durant's injured, and Kyrie Irving sprained his ankle in the last game and wasn't playing. You know what I mean? That's all plausible things that could have happened anyway. So I feel like he needs to take more responsibility in trying to create something. And, yeah, I'm not going to lie. The roster right now and the tools aren't great. But I feel like there has to be some level of, you know, we can get this done. You know, we're going to set something up. I feel like that was more so the mentality during that like pre-COVID break and then those like couple games after COVID. The Nets had a lot of bad rotations and bad lineups they had to put out there. They still found ways to win the game. Right now it's kind of like they're not making those extra plays. They're not playing with that same level of energy and want to win attitude. Yeah, and I think at the other time he was mic'd up, he was sort of saying, yeah, just real basic. I know that they like always put the basic stuff out there, but it was just like, you know, we haven't played a lot together, but good energy, keep rebound, all that sort of stuff. And it's just like, again, it's a, a cop-out sort of thing. It's just like, no, don't say we haven't played a lot together. There are no excuses. This is an NBA team. You're versing another NBA team. You are out there to win games. Your job is to make it work or, or find a way to make it work. You know, there's, there's going to be a way. Well, give where yourself just... a chance to win the yeah. game. You know what I mean? Like, you're not always going to win. The roster isn't great, but it just felt like they weren't necessarily giving themselves a real opportunity to win. And again, Nash is not the reason they lost the game. We just listed a numerous players who didn't play well. But it's like the combination of all this just makes it that much harder to win. No, it, exactly. And it's just like, it's like losing before you've already won, you know? And these things are being said, like, in the third quarter where, you know, the Nets went on a little bit of a run. And it was just yep. like, okay, maybe they're in this. And when the Nets went on a, a few runs here and there from, you know, timely Patty Mills threes or, you know, James Harden being uh, otherworldly, it was just like, maybe the Nets have got something here. But then, obviously, something happens and, you know, it was a turnover or some poor defense or, you know, guys missing some open egregious shots as we've sort of alluded to but yeah it is uh, all of the factors compound to each other to make a a lovely shit chance shit man shit sandwich we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Say that yeah, four times. I mean, even the Lakers scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. Like, they scored 14 points. The Nets scored 18, but 14 points from a team in the fourth quarter just screams comeback. Like, most of the time we're going through the box score and a team scored 14 points or under 20 in the fourth, they probably blew some type of lead. The Nets had plenty of opportunities. What did the Lakers go 0-5 to start yeah, the quarter? 6 I think it was, even. Yeah, it's just like... It, there just has to be some type of way to generate offense. And, you know, some of it is just the way the team is constructed. The offense is going to be more so generated from the stars and what they can do and actions off of them. But at times you have to coach and find ways to put guys in a situation where they can have some success offensively. I think another issue in this game was like when Harden was on the bench, they just could not find a way to really generate shots other than, other than transition opportunities or just like mismatches. It was just a lot of like guys running around the floor, trying to set an off ball screen for Patty Mills to take a contested shot. You know, no Cam Thomas and no Marcus Aldridge in those situations. And that would be the two guys that you look at as, oh, wow, like maybe they can generate offense on their own a little bit. Yeah, and then it seems like Steve Nash knows the answer after the fact. Like, yeah. we always sort of speak about, you know, proactive and reactive. Steve Nash, for 80%, again, just throwing out a number of this season, has felt reactive in so many instances. It takes him until the third quarter to realize, okay, this rotation isn't really working. This combination of players isn't really working. This combination of players is working, so let's continue to roll with that. And, you know, we heard James Harden be probably as frustrated as we are in some of the reports from Jake Fisher today. It, I don't blame him by any stretch at all because it's just like, and Matt Brooks put it out there where it's just like, okay, when James Harden's off the floor, the best offense with what the Nets currently have is Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge. They yep. have clear chemistry. Patty Mills knows where LaMarcus likes his shots. LaMarcus is a real nice offensive hub, and he can do a little bit of pick and roll, pick and pop with those two. But they, he didn't play them together. It was just like you've got that, you've got like James Johnson out there instead, and you've got Bruce Brown or Damon Sharp. It's just like, come hey, on, Clax like, is out there, and it's like you think you try to match up Clax's minutes with Harden because obviously yes. they're effective as an oop option. It, it, it did like I, it feels like really uh, for so many games, or at least since I've been back, and I've been listening to to the pod obviously pretty relentlessly since I've been overseas as well. But it just seems like it, it takes Steve Nash way too long to impact the game as a coach, and he's just like letting things happen. 
And, you know, Matt Brooks and I went into a pretty deep discussion about Steve Nash's coaching and, the, you know, losing Ima Udoka as well as Mike D'Antoni to other teams and, 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 and respectively. So, yeah, this... Steve Nash has proven that, you know, maybe last season was a bit of a fluke and that sort of whole collaboration sort of thing is, you know, more, you know, other guys doing more of the work for him or, or providing more of their expertise because his expertise right now isn't great. And yes, the injuries are an effect or whatever, but you look at what Eric Spolstra did within the absence of, you know, Bam uh, Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry. Or, he's had so many injuries in Miami, and he finds guys like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, or Dwayne Devin. All these guys find a way to just play well, and that's because you know that systemically, system, systematically, Miami have foundations, they have principles, and all this sort of thing. Maybe some of it's on Sean Marks as well for how he built this roster. And it's also on Steve Nash for thinking this is a defensive roster because it isn't. It's a fluky defensive roster. As Matt Brooks and I discussed on a Brooklyn Buzz when we had a little bit of a break and we dived into some stats and the Nets you know, were one of the best opponent three-point shooting teams, that, that was the New York Knicks last season. And the New York Knicks aren't that great of a defensive team either. That's one of the stats that sticks out to you as fluky. So, look, Nick, I... Uh, Maybe we should talk about Patty Mills because it would make me a little bit happier and I'm starting to get a, you know, feel my blood boil, feel the frustration rise, but I'm sure you've got some other things to say that are probably smarter than what I've just alluded to. As no, well. I think you're, I think it's fr- like if you're this frustrated, obviously I was pretty frustrated watching the game, just like wanting the offense to run smoothly and to some extent, like this is why James Harden is frustrated. You know what I mean? It's just like that simple out there. And like you said, you know, some of it's on Sean Marks and some of it's on Steve Nash. I think also from Steve Nash's perspective, he's a second year head coach. Last year felt easier. You know, the team offensively just kind of always made sense. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni was definitely chirping in his ear to run some of those lineups and that scheme and the offensive mindset. And I feel like he's missing that. And he's he's kind of, he looks more like a rookie head coach this season than he did last year. And like I said, the job is definitely harder given he's missing the assistance and injuries and the COVID stuff. But, you know, you need this to kind of be figured out, hopefully, by you know, postseason time, or that's where it becomes a real issue. And obviously you want to win as many games as you can in the regular season, but right now it's just like you're you're not sure what's good with Steve Nash and like where he's at in terms of like his viewpoint on the team because, you know, I, I brought it up to you, I brought it up to Lucas. It's like two months ago where you were claiming like, yo, we need Kessler Edwards, and then finally he plays Kessler Edwards and now he's leaning into him 30 minutes a game. It's like You've, you've been the one watching this guy at practice. You know more about Kessler Edwards than any of us know about Kessler Edwards because you're his coach. And it just like took you that long and the opportunity of like five guys being out for COVID for him to actually play and get the opportunity. And now he's on the floor. It's just like he seems very unsure with what he has with this team. And some of that could just be like the team's out of funk and not playing well like a lot of guys are. You know, before we hopped on, we talked about it like two probably of their top seven players from last year and Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin regressed drastically you know they went from being good sixth and seventh man off the bench to probably being guys that you're not sure if you want in your rotation yeah no it's a it's a really fair point as well as that you know day on sharp plays you know five minutes gets a 45 million boards and then it's off the floor now yes you know ad was cooking him a little bit but he was still plus four on the night in those 11 minutes so when he was out there Decent things were happening for the Nets offensively at the very least. So I don't understand why 11 minutes, it's so limited for him. It seems like 
the, the, the leash and the trust for Daron Sharp and Cam Thomas is so little in comparison to a Bruce Brown or a James Johnson, or even a Siobhan Carter at times earlier this season, even got some, some run tonight. It just feels like, okay, well, hold all guys in the rotation to the, to the same standards. If James Johnson is going to take some bad shots, if Bruce Brown's going to miss some things that are just so blatantly obvious, then why are they getting 20 and 20? Why are they getting 24 minutes and, and 20 minutes respectively, 21 minutes respectively? Yeah, I really don't get it, and it's not like either guy's playing great defense. You know, I get some of that. Like, James Johnson, as a veteran, gives you a little bit of size against LeBron James and can do some things, but I don't think there's, like, a need to play Bruce Brown, especially just with with uh, DeAndre Bembry or with James Johnson. It's just proven to be something that really doesn't work, and like you said, he's not playing well. Like, he's doing things on the floor that aren't successful. Like, and that like shot-making is part of the game. Like, he's being a negative offensively because he can't even make a layup at this point in time. So it's it's confusing in terms of like what Nash's system and thoughts and what the leashes are for these guys and what they have to do to be on the floor because I feel like there's also a confusion. Like you make the joke about like, you know, this isn't a defensive team, but like I don't know if he like really believed at some point that this was a defensive team. None of us really believe that, you know, because like the Nets were the, like we've been saying all year, the Nets are at their best when they're a top five offense or elite team and that standard. And that's what you have to lean into. And like, I would say probably their best win of the season is to win over Chicago and what they do in that game. Obviously they had the three stars, but they leaned in the offense and that's, that's what they really have to do. They really do have to do it, Nick. And obviously the availability of the superstars certainly does help like you alluded to it, but you know you need to get some some gunners on this team. You know, get Jimmer Fredette for God's sakes, if it means you know a guy that can just shoot some threes. Bring back Nick Stauskas. Um, <laughs> look, that's a deep, deep cut. I'm not sure if I'm even sure. Ben Malcolmore was definitely a guy that they missed out on that they could have signed to a 10-day hardship contract, and they didn't. And he would feels like he could have been a possible guy to be replacing a Javon Carter on this roster or somebody else. And like, you know, he, they can still trade for him, but then they have to give up something. But like that just is a guy that makes a lot of sense. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight is twenty twenty, And, you know, the Nets could use 20 points in 20 minutes from someone, you know, other than. <laughs> other than James Harden or Kyrie Irving uh, half the time. Or Patty Mills. Patty Mills yep. has been uh, ultra-reliable. I do want to get to Patty Mills. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah, we can move to Patty. We'll talk at least a little positive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, somewhat. And, and Patty Mills was one of those positives. He, he started, and, and me being objective here, he started the game quite rusty. You know, some of the shots that he was taking and... As a person that's watched a lot of Patty Mills basketball, I can tell 90% of the time when the shots are going in and his shot selection. You know, some of the time it's just his balance. You look for how he's shooting the shot and when he's shooting the shot. Is he in rhythm? Is he forcing it? Is his body set? And a lot of the time, you know, in that first half, he wasn't. You know, but the credit to him, you know, he hit some big threes, you know, three of nine from three. His volume was, was there. Uh, he's, he can only do so much. It was basically, you know, him and, and James from three-point land. You know, they took 16 of the 27 shots, um, and all of them were pretty much contested. And, and one of them was uber-contested from Patty Mills. That's one of the best threes I've seen him hit this season. So, yeah, 15 points for him, three of nine from three, six of 14 from the field, two assists, had a steal. You know, he had a little bit of a, a nice little chemistry with James Johnson. I think that... That's another little two-man sort of duo that have a little bit of chemistry. You know, James Johnson throws these nice, like, back passes and, you know, 
you know, uh, uh, some dribble handoff fakes yep. uh, as well. I think that if you align those two, that's something else as well. And also, we have seen Lamarcus Aldridge and James Johnson be good together. So maybe that's a sort of trio that you've sort of got. Okay, and and Steve Nash needs to start noting these things if he hasn't already. Go to NBA.com, like I do, pretty much every day before uh, I'm, I'm about to go on TweetDeck and throw out one of my tweets that I've, you know, uh, statistical tweets that I've just been looking at. I'm probably going to do it after this episode and try and find something uh, around that. But yeah, I thought Paddy was was pretty important tonight and pretty good tonight, and you know, he was continuing to, to move a lot to defensively um, and and show the energy that we need, the, the leadership that we need. Um, but again, you know, he's doing. He's playing the uh, level of basketball that has never been asked of him, uh, and he's continued to do it at a really high level. So, love my guy. Love Patty Mills. Yeah, I mean, it's tough when you're, like we talked about early in the show, like when you're asking him to be your second option, you don't really have a third or fourth option. And the Lakers at times were able to kind of eliminate him out of the offense, like, hey, this is a one three-point shooter you have on the floor. We just can't give this guy the shot. So, like you said, you know, a good enough game from Patty Mills where the Nets could have got the win with the way that he played and, you know, what he did out there. So, no complaints about Patty. It's just there was nobody really else behind him that could step up and be a real offensive threat because it felt like DeAndre Bembry, who did have 12 points, 5-8 from the field, 1-2 from 3, 1-2 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 turnovers. He was kind of generating offense off like broken plays and like an occasional like easy pass under the middle to get a wide open layup or a contested layup. No, I, I thought that he did you know everything that was asked of him tonight. I thought that you know, he the energy, the requisite energy that we know from DeAndre Bembry was there and then some. You know, he was cutting. He he looked really spry. He looked really explosive, athletic. Um, he was doing a lot. And you know, he, there was one drive that he had, I think, off the catch that that I was really impressed with. It's just like he's the he's a better offensive player than Bruce Brown. He's a better offensive player than James Johnson. Right now, in this in this current iteration of the rotation, he's the Nets. Am I right in saying Nick? Maybe their fourth best offensive player. It's obviously James. Obviously, Sands Kyrie Irving. In in this current lineup that we have, it's Patty Mills. It's James Harden. It's Lamarcus Aldridge. Is DeAndre Bembry next? Um, I think it depends on the lineup he's in. Like, I think I'd probably rather see Kessler Edwards offensively sometimes just because he can shoot the three, can shoot the mid-range shot, and you, you know, make an argument maybe for Cam Thomas and what he can do, you know, when he's having a good game. But DeAndre Bembry, I think overall would probably, you know, you look at that as a potentially where he's, you know, because he's having impact defensively. He's probably been the best on-ball defender on this team. I don't want to say easily, but by a fair margin, and offensively, he, he's good at finding a knack when he's that one non-shooter on the floor. I think it's harder for him when he's you know with Bruce Brown or with James Johnson. When he's out there by himself, I feel like there's more opportunities, especially as a cutter. Like you see him kind of, somebody catches the ball on the roll, he cuts the rim, gets an easy dunk or something like that. And he's willing to take the occasional three. So, I mean, probably around that range, which is ridiculous. Because if you asked me that before the season started, I'd say he doesn't even qualify as top 10. Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking. So that is a shout out to him. You know, full credit to him for how he's impacted this team and and really assimilated to his role. It's sort of like you know, Bruce Brown from last year in in a lot of respects. Uh, and I think I also want to shout out Kessler Edwards tonight. Nick is you know five points, six boards, one assist, one steal, one block, uh, two or six uh, from the field. Didn't hit a three ball tonight. 
I thought some of his defense, obviously, you know, he was guarding LeBron James. I don't think his defense was that bad on LeBron. I think LeBron was just hitting some really, really hard shots. I think that he was better on him than, you know, James Johnson and Bruce Brown and, and some others. But some of his help defense, I thought, was really, really smart. And, you know, it just shows that he has a really high defensive IQ. Um, and he, I, I think that this was a, a probably one of the better defensive performance from Kessler Edwards. And we're saying that for a guy that was taken with the 44th pick in, in his rookie season. So uh, he is a, a heck of a 3 and D player. And he is so important to what the Nets do. And, you know, he had to play 33 minutes. Uh, he was second in minutes tonight behind only James Harden. That's probably going to be the case uh, for uh, if he's not in foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, I love the way Kessler plays and the experience he's getting. And I thought against LeBron on the perimeter, he did pretty pretty good. But when he got him in the post, obviously the size, the veteran savvy, he was able to kind of take advantage a little more. You mentioned the help defense. He had that great rejection. You know, I think giving Dayron Sharp help on Stanley Johnson just came through with that. And it's just like you're seeing him have impacts on the game from multiple angles. I think he also hit like a, a semi-contested pull-up mid-range shot in the first quarter in this yep. game too. Like it wasn't wide open like the other ones were in the past. So, you know, just continue to get him reps and experience because – out of all of the rookies and out of all these like fringe rotation guys or guys that weren't in the rotation last year, he feels like a guy that could truly be in the playoff rotation. Like he maybe not as a starter, but as a bench option coming and play a couple minutes, like he's getting there and every rep and every game, especially if he's playing 33 minutes, like that's good experience. Yeah, outside of Nicholas Claxton, he is the Nets' best defensive player. You know, obviously when Kevin Durant's there, he's probably maybe the best defensive player. You know, you can make an argument with Claxton when he's fully fit and firing, but that, that's that's saying something. You know, rookies rarely you know uh, impact the, the game defensively because of just the the speed of the game and and the rotations and all those sort of things. But you know, the X's and O's of Kessler Edwards, it just shows that he's really really good. You know, in high I'm, energy and effort. Yep, absolutely, and, and athleticism. You know, continuing to rebound the ball incredibly well. You know, had some nice little rebounding highlights. Nick, was there any other players or things you wanted to touch on? Oh, I, I can actually I'll ask you about Cam Thomas. Do you think that Cam Thomas should have got a, a longer leash tonight, or do you think that you know these sort of you know little mini spurts where he doesn't play well and he gets you know yanked from the court is a, a better way to sort of teach him and develop him? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think this is a situation where you just probably have to play Cam even if he's playing bad because you need the skill set. He's essentially one of the only other ball handlers on this team other than James Harden right now at home. Like Patty Mills obviously can ball handle and he can do a little bit, but like Cam has the ability to create. It sucks that he had a bad first half, but maybe you play him in the third quarter, give him a, a short leash. If he makes a few plays, leave him out there. If he doesn't, go back to the rotation you wanted to. But I think just given the lack of offensive pop on this team, like we've discussed, they scored 96 points, including 18 in the fourth quarter and seven threes on the night. Like, Cam is a guy that you hope that maybe you could just put in, hits a couple mid-rangers and gets hot. You know, he might be able to give you a quick eight points in a quarter. We've seen that happen. And, and like, I'm not saying, you know, Cam Thomas is this great player and that he doesn't make a ton of mistakes because he wasn't good in the first half. But in this situation, you have to try things that aren't ideal because your roster right now is not ideal. Yeah, I think he looks best when he's playing with Patty Mills rather than James Harden sometimes. You know, James Harden, I think, can, you know, obviously be a bit of a heliocentric sort of style of offense and, and Cam Thomas doesn't look great as sort of a catch and shoot force, yep. you know, especially from the perimeter. But when he sort of drives and takes that mid-ranger, he does look okay. So maybe I am wrong, but I, I don't mind. And maybe, you know, hopefully we do see some some nice performances from Cam. In fact, we did in, in the previous performance as well. So it's just, 
Um, it, it's weird how him and Daron Sharp are, are sort of being used sometimes because, you know, some of them are pro- both of those guys do have a, a heap of potential and could give this team something and, and have given this team something given the absences that they have had with injuries and, and COVID and such. So we'll see how it pans out for two of our promising young guys. Yeah, I think you look at you kind of put together a lineup almost already is like when Harden's off the floor, maybe you roll with Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, James Johnson, ideally Kessler Edwards, but maybe you're trying to reserve some of his minutes to all be with James Harden. You go with DeAndre Bembry. You know, that's just like some offense that you can create there. You it's can not- even go with Bruce Brown in that one a little bit because, you know, LaMarcus can space out there. He can at least hang out in the corner occasionally to provide a level Took of space. tonight. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. So you, you can have Bruce, you can have Brown. You probably can't have Blake, but yeah, that, that's something where it, it could work. So yeah, Steve, we're giving you a heap of solutions, my guy. I hope you're writing them down. Yeah, I mean, that's at least worth trying. You know what I mean? On paper, it makes sense to see that, you know, maybe James Johnson and Bruce Brown can cover up defensively for some of the the issues that, you know, Cam has, LaMarcus and Patty can have at times as well. So, you know, that, that'd be something I'd be willing to roll with. But uh, touched on LaMarcus, just like an off night from him. Nine points, three of eight from the field, oh, one from three, three of three from the free throw line, six rebounds, uh, one steal. He was getting bullied a little bit by LeBron in the post, which wasn't great. And then also I just feel like he wasn't catching the ball cleanly tonight. And then sometimes when he misses a mid-ranger early, it just feels like he's going to be off from mid-range. Yeah, his rhythm wasn't there. I think yep. that you know, that's a great probably, way to put it. Yeah, the, the easiest way to put it. And, you know, he got a defensive three seconds. I think he got an offensive foul as well. So it just wasn't the, the most fluid game from L.A. And we expect a lot from him, especially in the absence of uh, so many guys out of the rotation. And I think as well, you know, he wasn't able to get any spots and at, at the same time. And the guys weren't able to feed him in, in those spots. You know, he would find... He would get the, the switch onto like a, a THT or a Malik Monk or whatever, and they couldn't find him. They couldn't make that entry pass. So I think some of the, that is on, you know, whether that's a James Harden, you know, whether that's a Patty Mills or a Bruce Brown or a Cam Thomas, you know, guys that had the ball in their hands uh, more often than not. So, yeah, it wasn't the best game for LaMarcus Aldridge, but, you know, hopefully he bounces back. Yeah, and I think with, you know, like we mentioned, Kyrie, Joe Harris, no KD, you need probably at least double digits from LaMarcus. You need, you know, he did have nine tonight, but you're looking probably more for like 15 from him just to give you some of that scoring that you just don't have on this roster. But, Jack, who do you want to touch on next? Uh, I mean, I think we're probably t- – in fact, no, Nicholas Claxton, Nick, because I think that is – when him and Kess are out there together – I think Matt, I'm, my, I'm going to steal this from Matt Brooks, whatever. He's smarter than me, and sometimes uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. He, he was just, it's a Nets Twitter wet dream, you know, or a fever dream, whatever it is, because both of those guys have just oozed potential. They've got a, a heap of sort of you know, swagger about them. I know you mentioned that, you know, in, in terms of uh, talking. To, I think Matt actually mentioned that about, you know, James Harden a little bit as well, but... The, yeah, both of them, when they were both those two were out there, it was exciting to to watch them. Yep. It's just like, what is going to happen? You know, anything could happen with these two. You know, we could get a, a swap block from nowhere. You know, both of these guys can switch. Both of them are really athletic, and uh, it was good to see. And, and you know, we see at the Instagram. If you if you want to know when Nick Clarkson's coming back, then just follow him on Instagram. It seems yeah. to me that he, he reveals his return. And probably knows a little bit more than what Steve Nash does, apparently. So, no, I thought Nick Claxton, you know, six points for him. Also had seven boards, three offensive boards. Uh, didn't get a block or a steal. Was 36 in the field. Uh, didn't hit the free throws. In the short roll, it's where he's still looking a little bit shoddy. And I think that that's where he he's lost. He did make one the- good pass tonight. 
he had one good one and some of the other ones were a bit uh, hit and miss. And but I think that's where you know you have the level of of reps. And you know he obviously is coming back from injury. You know you don't have that fluidity and know where your teammates are, know where the rotations are being made and when it's being collapsed uh, by the defense, those sort of things. But yeah, it was a, a nice little uh, comeback from from Clack City. Yeah, I liked his reps on LeBron too in one on one. I thought he did good contesting that. He has a little bit more strength than uh, Kessler Edwards, and you know that length can have an impact on LeBron and. You know, Clax, I think he caught it open this game as well. You know, just needs to get back on the floor. He's a guy that can have a positive impact. And I think, like, the, one of the simplest reasons I think Nets fans are excited to see Kessler Edwards and Nick Clax on the floor, you hinted at it, Jack, just two athletes, like two guys that are long and lengthy, like have good speed, have good vert, can just make those, like, highlight-type basketball plays, especially defensively, and then offensively they have pop do that. I mean, I'm excited when we see Kess, KD, and Clax back on the floor. I think we got a little bit of that in that Raptors and Sixers games, but, like, as a real option, especially with James Harden being back out there and potentially Kyrie Irving, like, you're talking Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kessler Edwards, Nick Claxton, like, that's fun. No, definitely. Nick, and because we've been talking for, for so long, uh, I don't know if it's been so long, sometimes time is a relative concept, but we've got some comments from James Harden uh, in terms of the, the reports and such. So uh, Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News asked uh, James Harden about, obviously, the reports from, from Bleach Reporter and Jake uh, Fisher that came out tonight. James Harden denies the report evolved around him, expresses frustration outside the report because of the lack of winning. And this was this by Chris Mulholland. I don't know about any reports. Of course I'm frustrated because there's a, a lot of inconsistency for whatever reasons. Injuries, COVID, or whatever you want to call it. Everyone in this organization is frustrated because we are better than what our record is and we should be on the way up. That's all it is. If you didn't hear it from me, then it's reports. I'm frustrated because I want to win and I'm a competitor. It's pretty simple. I guess I've, this is the first time that you've heard this. It's the first time that I've heard this. You know, you've had time to process, you know, the, the Bleacher Report stuff. Taking all of that into account, my friend, you know, I'm, I'm seeing you cock your neck a little bit. You get ready. You pro, you've processed everything today. Um, where do you stand in all of it, mate? Yeah, I think um, there's some credence to the report that came out from Jake Fisher and Bleacher Report and James Harden's frustration and some of the issues with the team. Um, and he kind of pointed that out during the you know post game not to say that he wants to leave the nets but there's definitely frustration with the team there's no reason not to be we talked about it like the rotation the lineups tonight the amount of workload he had to have just to be with be in the game not even win the game like we're talking about just for the nets to hang around at the 10 point is not great so and then obviously it's frustrating where you're going to the season expecting to play with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and now you know Kyrie's part time the KD injury stuff is something you can't really you know predict but the fact is like Kyrie's not out there and now that's making you work harder it's definitely tough and I think he's frustrated and I think if the season went really sour yeah it would probably make him more likely to leave but I don't think he's decided he wants to leave Brooklyn like I think it's just a possibility that could happen if things go really bad like i said but if the nets win a championship and everything looks great then he's going to probably be back here and this is going to be the best possible situation i think also you could look at it a little bit as like a leverage play too from james harden trying to dictate his terms on the franchise a little bit more obviously we know this is katie's team but maybe harden wants to have a little bit more of a say and that could be his way to kind of push in there Look, all the frustrations that he had are frustrations that are completely and totally You valid. and I have. <laughs> you and I have. You know, Kyrie Irving and his vaccination status and, and the fact that he's a part-time player. You know, I, I think James Harden signed up to have Kyrie Irving along for him for the ride for more than 41 games. 
Kevin Durant's injury is something that's out of control. The rotations, well, you know, Steve Nash isn't necessarily using him as best as he can. You know, he's not necessarily placing the right spacing rollers around him. And again, the injuries and, and the current cat kettle of fish that are in front of him, you can't necessarily totally do that. But we do know that what the Nets do have, has there's guys there that you can find success alongside him. So I think what I take from that main quote there is, I don't know about any reports. I think he might he might not. Like he, I don't know if James Harden's got a bleacher report, you know, notifications, you know, on his iPhone 14. He's probably got the newest one. But I think the main one that I take away from it, Nick is he said, Of course I'm frustrated because there's a lot of inconsistency for whatever reason. And he says injuries, COVID, or whatever you want to call it. That to me shows that the parts of the Jake Fisher report where he's frustrated about Kyrie, frustrated about the rotations. <laughs> Maybe frustrated about the taxes and, and the weather. I don't think that that's necessarily, you know. The, the weather one probably seemed like the most irrelevant of them all, especially if it's like he's going to Philadelphia. It's literally yeah. the same exact weather for the most part. Yeah, I think Will Jackson posted like screenshots of the weather. And it was like 38 Fahrenheit, you know, <laughs> today uh, over there on, on in both cities. So, but yeah, I think, am I wrong to sort of analyze that as being the main part of, you know, his response? Yeah, I mean, I think he's frustrated. Like, I think it's clear. I think you could argue that maybe the people who leaked this information to Jake Fisher interpret it in a different way, or maybe they have a mindset where they want him to get to Philadelphia or get him to Daryl Morey, where Daryl Morey obviously rides really hard for James Harden, but they're like everything. The reason that the article made sense was that things in the article were just almost common sense. Like, obviously, he's frustrated. He's not, you know, having an easier season. And I think also some of it's compounded from the fact that James Harden's frustrated with his play this year. Like, he isn't playing his best basketball. The officials have played somewhat of a role in that. He's coming back from a hamstring injury, the first serious injury of his career. You know, he wanted – this is – I don't want to say, like, the most turmoil or the most, like, uphill battle he's had but it's definitely not the easiest season in the James Harden career and he's done a lot in Houston but I think he was there one of the reasons I think he wanted out of Houston was he was sick of being the only engine of the team definitely and he's <laughs> playing that exact role for for the Nets tonight and he did it too it was you know emblematic of you know the previous version of of James Harden so yeah that was certainly something that I think a lot of people We'll you know uh, read into and whatever. It was good to know that you know James Harden was made uh, available tonight and was able to you know uh, front up to to the Nets media and such. So you know, kudos to him. But Nick, any other things that you wanted to touch on, mate? No, I think it's been a pretty blah day for Nets fans. Jack, you got one more thing? I do have. I'm scrolling the timeline and finding quotes central. Uh, James Harden denies having any problem with Steve Nash Steve Nash's rotation and dismisses reports. Um, did you guys hear that from me? Uh, but he admits he's just frustrated with the Nets record and a shorthanded state. So, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think also he could be frustrated with the play of God, like the level of play. Like guys aren't playing well. Like like we talked about, Blake Griffin regressed substantially. That like Bruce Brown has fallen off a cliff, and they're both guys that played well with James Harden last year, and they're just not getting that. And also, just like even James Johnson from like month to month, like. Last month, he had some good basketball moments, and this month, it just feels like he's all over the place. So there is a lot of inconsistency and flux for a team that's you know aiming to win a championship this season. Uh, Steve Nash also did say that Joe Harris getting a second opinion on his ankle is standard and happens all the time. 
probably is, but you could have told us, man. Yeah. It also, like, the way that it was reported didn't make it seem so standard. You know what I mean? It made it seem like this was a new setback upon the other setback that had already happened. It's a little confusing, and that's why sometimes it's best to just hear it from the source or get some type of update. No, exactly. So, look, I think that, you know, we got lucky with finding out a few quotes here and there post-game, Nick. It's sometimes we record too quickly, um, and we were not able to get through it all. Um, and the Nets media did a good job uh, providing us with those quotes and, and questions. So, yeah, it's going to be an ongoing issue. And I think that the main thing is, you know, listen to, to the Clear Out slash uh, Brooklyn Buzz crossover. Um, and we've got plenty of stuff, obviously, on the buzz. And Matt's doing incredible work at Basketball News and with his podcast as well. But, you know, on to Denver tomorrow, Nick. We'll be back for that one. Hopefully it is a win. Um, I don't think that either of us are the most confident right now given the state of things but weirder things have happened yeah i mean hopefully they bounce back and just play a higher level of basketball and you know if the nuggets come in and play really well and the nets lose that's okay but long as the nets compete and play at a high level and just you know put some good stuff out there but jack always a pleasure big thanks everybody for listening check the buzz on all stream platforms whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.